him away, boys. Hey, I'm the chief here. Break him away, toys. What'd you say, chief? Do what the kid says. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. All right, boss, man, we spent the last week interacting with 200 other entrepreneurs. There was 150 people who came to the conference, but a lot of DCers just sort of, and again, DCers are the established location independent entrepreneurs that are inside of our private forum. You know, I'd say a couple hundred came to Barcelona this week, and we've been hanging out with them in a variety of different means, and meetups and workshops, at dinners, at parties, and this afternoon at a bike ride. We had some party crashers. That's what you're trying to say. We had some people that didn't come to the conference, but hung out at the parties, and that's okay, I think. I had a good time with those people, too. Absolutely. We actively encouraged such behavior. Overfilled our venues, got us in trouble in a couple instances, but in general, awesome event for me. I had the best time I've ever had in Barcelona here, and we've had this conference here now twice. Right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do like an old school talk it through episode. And I just want to talk about five things that we learned from spending a week, you know, people all around the world are making this decision right now. They're having a calculus like, should I buy a plane ticket? And should I ask my significant other whether they want to come, whether they'll sign off on this? You know, what's going to happen with the dog, the cat, the kids? It's a big commitment to come to a conference. And so let's just talk about what we learned this week. We made that commitment, we came to one, and let's talk about what we learned. By the way, I found my cat sitter on rover.com, very happy. As far as I can tell, the house didn't burn down and my cat got fed. So, and he even, he even got the water out of the bathroom spigot, which is what he prefers. So in my book, like five out of five, you know? So in this episode, we're gonna talk about some of the trends that we're seeing in the lifestyle business space. I think we could still say lifestyle business, that's fair. And we're just going to talk about some of our own personal observations that we had this week. So uh, where do you want to post this one? TropicalMBA.com slash BCN conference. Why don't we do that? All right, let's get rolling. The first thing I took away, you know, I spent a lot of time with speakers this year is pretty normal, as well as you and Jessica. Jessica is the community manager of the Dynamite Circle. And I think when people are asked to give a talk, like the first instinct is always to attempt to like analyze or present theories or things that you think about what you've done. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird inclination because it's so much more effective and so much easier just to share what you've done. You know, like when I look at presentations, I'm always astonished by the lack of screenshots it's the easiest thing in the world, you know, like we're building internet assets. Yeah, I think it's the number one thing that take away from speakers is like, you don't have to come up with a comprehensive theory. All you have to be like is like, this is a screenshot from something that I implemented. Here was the result. Here's what happened from that. And here's maybe a potential implication of that or not. But the point is, is that's the third step. It's not the first. The reason it's important to talk about this is what you did is because everybody wants to do that as well. <laughs> not everybody wants to think the way that you thought. And so if you can present on what you did, it really gives people an insight into how they might do it as well. The other thing about speaking, which I think people are not aware, is that I've talked about this before, but if you want to give an emotional speech on something, that's a professional level gig to get people emotionally invested, 
telling stories, not necessarily having to show anything that you did specifically. That's a completely different style of speech, and it's very difficult to give. Yeah. And I think most people will strike out there, including myself. But if I have to give a presentation on what I did last week in my business, I can be fairly confident that people are going to get value out of that. That's the thing. It's like you don't have to be a professional speaker or a professional actor. It's like, hey, tell a compelling, engaging, long-form story that's logically consistent and has clear, relevant takeaways as well as a guiding metaphor. Be funny in there, too. You have to be funny in there. <laughs> this standard is so high, and like those aren't even the best speeches. Like The best speeches... I actually, when we first got asked to speak at a conference, we had a similar crisis in terms of like, what do we share with people, you know? I couldn't find an answer anywhere on the internet. So I actually had to make a blog post that was like based on my experience of analyzing speeches and just saying like, look, the best ones are like, here's who I am. Here's why you should listen to me. Once I had a problem, then I found this solution and here's what happened. So let me show you how it happened. Case study before the solution, case study after the solution, case study before this. And you just do that as many times as you have case studies. And then at the end you say, if you want to implement this solution, you might run into some problems. Here's the problems that I ran into. You know, you say that, and then you say, here's some things you can do if you want to execute the solution yourself. Yeah, coming up with a logical structure is is the right thing to do. This also comes with conversation that you have with people when you're at a conference as well. It doesn't make a ton of sense to just start launching into what you think about something without pre-qualifying yourself, telling some stories about <laughs> the ways in which you've executed before. So it's not so dissimilar, I guess, what I'm saying to conversation, you know, giving right. these kinds of talks. If you want to be a persuasive person in a conversation, it really takes a special person or you really have to build some trust with me. Coming back to the speech thing. Okay, so you've been asked to give a speech. You have to have a simple structure at the core of what you're saying. Otherwise, it's a blob. Like our listeners right now know that they're waiting for point number two and that point number one has gone on for entirely too long. But that's critical that you have that at least like I grew a million dollar e-commerce store. Here are seven lessons that I learned. Okay, number one, right? And then ideally you wouldn't say the lesson, you'd show what you did that led to that lesson. Okay, that's enough. Let's get started on takeaway number two. Point number two. Conferences like these are not a time sucked. In fact, they can be a time multiplier. Oh, yeah. If you treat them right. Here's the thing that happens in my head whenever I see one of these conferences come across my screen. It's like, oh, God, it's going to be a week. I got to go the whole way there. You know, all this kind of stuff, right? Euros. It's going to cost me some euros. It's going to cost some money. And, you know, I almost never, as long as the right people are at the conference, like that's the caveat, as long as your people are at the conference it's a way to batch and find leverage for all these serendipities instead of like going for a couple coffees a week with people or, you know, occasionally popping off to your local business networking group or whatever. This is a way to like step aside, you know, from your year, your business year and say, I'm going to invest two or three weeks around intelligent ideas and minds and I'm going to expose myself to serendipity and things that I can't predict. And it's a weird thing because you don't touch your computer and you don't work on your business and you don't write any emails during this time period. But I felt so productive. Like I had just batched a year's worth of like bumping into people and fascinating ideas into just a few days. For me, I have probably more flushed out business ideas on my Evernote than I ever have in the last probably two or three years. So for me, it's about coming with some ideas, testing them out on people, getting feedback, and then going back to my Evernote and saying like, okay, these are two ideas that I think I can move forward with. Right. And when you're sitting in your home office in the middle of wherever you live, 
it's easy to like look at an opportunity like an event and just be like grown right and that's me i can relate to that you know i can be like you know i don't really want to but to me that's all the more reason why it's a time multiplier because most of the time you're a hermit most of the time you're talking to your team and your family and the people that are immediately around you Mm -hmm. rather than trying to work in networking serendipity ideation it's amazing just to get it all out of the way you know i'm good now (laughs) good for like months (laughs) there's a million ways to leverage a conference like this if you can't figure out a way to do it whether it's multiplying your time in some way right like for me it's being able to flush out some ideas, you know, for you, maybe it's something else, but there's a million ways to leverage 150 people that are at this event that you're at and have it have some kind of positive impact on your business. By the way, I just want to say this, if you aren't able to find value from attending one of our conferences, it's really helpful if you let us know that. Because I think a lot of times people find themselves in a situation where they're among their peers, but they can't figure out a way to break through. I guess what I'm saying is like from an organizer's perspective, like it's good for us to notice because we're always trying to change the format and content to be able to accommodate everybody. Because I truly believe when you come to these events, they can be extremely useful. I would say life-changing. Life-changing. Point number three, and I know you rolled your eyes when I wrote this down because you were like, you said that before, but I said it before because I believe it. And now I have a story about what I did, not what I think. Here it is. Here's point number three. Hosting a meetup specific to your topic of interest or business of interest is one of the best ways to get value out of a conference. I like this point, and I also like that during this conference you got called out. Somebody was like, hey, Dan, is it still your advice that you should start a podcast? And you're like, well, not everybody should start a podcast. A lot of people would benefit. I qualify it now. I'm getting older. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. So let me tell you what we did. Ian and I have been covering the topic of investing quite a bit on the show. We're super curious about making investments in businesses, real estate, hard assets. All We're just learning, you know? And so I thought, why don't we host a meetup for people that invest at this conference? I can read you from the email. I was just like, hey, you know, RSVP to this place that I've rented out. We can all go there and share some ideas. Mm -hmm. And by the way, investment's like very broad. In the past, like what we've asked people to do and what we did at this event was share for two or three minutes what your investment strategy is. Everybody gets to know you. Oh, that's Shannon. He's into investment property in Portugal. That's Dan. He's into investing in podcasts. You know, the email I sent out was essentially that, you know, it was like pretty structured. Like, here's what you need to prepare for. Like, let us know what's in your portfolio. Let us know what you're looking for. And so it was a structured conversation. And we got to know 25 other entrepreneurs that are making investments and like what their faces look like, what their names are, what the opportunities are. And that would have been worth it. (laughs) Right? Like you can get your value there. It's like a anti-fragile approach to conferences. It's like you met all the people that have your biggest area of interest right now. You have those contacts going forward and that knowledge. And then the rest of the conference is just gravy, you know? Yeah, for me at that meetup, I got to meet Matt, who does financial consulting for hotels and resorts, and I got to partially validate one of my ideas that was on that Evernote. So again, there was an opportunity for me to meet the right person to get some more validity on my ideas. I actually think, so this is some inside baseball, that these meetups, so I got inspired. I got so much value out of the investors meetup that I was like, the experience that I'm feeling right now needs to happen for every attendee. 
And it's that recognition, it's the conversation, the direct one-on-one. And so we are going to be rolling out for DCBKK, our October conference, a lot more of roundtable discussions led by a leader. Let me tell a brief history of conferences. Like Normally how conferences work is you've got like eight famous people and then that are on book tours, and then you sell tickets based on the eight famous people. And the dream. Or whatever, the result. And then, you know, two, three hundred people buy tickets or whatever, or a thousand people. And then you have to like pay money or pay hotel to those eight people. Well, what we're doing in our conferences now, we have these workshops that are 30 person rooms. So instead of having one speaker in front of 200, you have four to eight speakers in front of 200. And now all of a sudden, you've created this more expensive framework. But I think more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely more expensive. But I do think it's more value. Yeah. Well, I mean, we started off the way that all the other conferences started off. And this is what we've kind of come to. And I keep getting more granular about it, seeing more and more value as you go down. The best workshops are the ones that you get to interact directly with the expert who's going to say like, well, you know, say you have a sales expert, which we've had like John Logar give a workshop. And John Logar is going to look at you and be like, hey, what's your pitch? You know, make the pitch. And then the whole room gets to hear how a pitch goes from, say, mediocre to something that could really work and change your life, gets you thinking, gets you engaged. It's the same thing with this investors meetup, like hearing like all these ideas, like certain investment options I never heard of before, that these people, they have skin in the game. They actually are investing in these vehicles. You get to meet them right away. And so for DCBKK, what we're actually doing is going that next step down and we're going to have a series of roundtable topics, you know, whether it's like you're a million dollar Amazon store owner or whether it's that you're an expert at Snapchat or whatever it is that you're growing your business off Instagram, to be able to sit down with other people that are doing the same and to share ideas at a conference, that's invaluable. We're doing that officially, but I think the whole reason we talked about point number three is that you don't have to wait for the conference organizer to get this sort of value. You know, we've had it at our conferences, I've seen it at others where you say, hey, you know, my name's Dan, I run a membership site, I'd really love to meet with other entrepreneurs that have established membership sites so we can swap notes, like let's meet at like the coffee bar at the corner of the Hilton, you know what I mean? And I swear if you send that to the conference organizer, they're more likely to support it than not and help you get the word out about it because they benefit from having more value at their conference. Point number four, the path to a million dollars is quicker than ever. What? Yeah, I saw Wait, this firsthand. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Is I this went science? To, it's absolute science. You mean like growing a million dollar business? Yeah. I think we used to say it takes years. Yeah. I'm thinking 18 months if you're fast now. Because that was one of the presentation titles? <laughs> yeah, it was. Alan Walton gave a presentation I thought was excellent, and it was about how he scaled his e-commerce business very quickly. The cool thing about Alan's presentation is that I went in there thinking it was going to be about e-commerce, came out, turns out the presentation was on PR. (laughs) I mean, what a nice surprise that was, right? Because it's like everybody in there needs to know these kinds of things, but they're going for e-commerce. So you got bait and switched a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And then he dropped the marketing bomb on me. I really appreciated that talk that Alan put together. In general, I'm meeting people that are accelerating this process, which brings us to point number five. These are very short points at the end, by the way, which is founders are doing a better job getting themselves out of the business. I'm seeing people that are able to get to that million dollar mark faster because they're hiring people 
pretty immediately in their businesses. And what's changed in your view? I mean, why wouldn't you say this two years ago? I think the education has changed a little bit. I mean, I think that we've been talking about this for a long time, how we grew our business very quickly by hiring people. But I think just more people are getting comfortable with it. The tools are getting easier. I just feel like it's a lot more accessible, especially with some of these web tools to scale your company faster than it was back when we did it. So it's just easier in general. But this does come with a caveat. I still see it as a stopping point for some of these founders to figure out ways to get the highest level sales done and these things that they're still doing in their business. Right. I had many conversations with people that were like, yeah, you know, I'm still kind of in charge of making sure that that bell rings at the end of the month. We very much had that pressure in our business, right? So it's like, oh, end of the month's coming, especially in e-commerce, getting ready for that ticker to go back to zero. You're still the one that's pushing forward to make sure that you hit those revenue numbers. I'm still seeing founders, especially at the million dollar mark, have these issues, but doing, I'd say, a fantastic job getting in lower level people into their business so they can kind of move forward on a higher level. We're seeing an increase in community members investing in others. And this is relevant to what you just said, because what we're seeing is in in some of these million dollar businesses, for example, instead of bringing in a GM, which would essentially wipe away the founder's salary, right? I mean, it doesn't take you long to get to that math to figure out how that works. Instead, they're bringing in a money partner. And I think it's, again, it's people in our community getting a little bit more comfortable with these, I guess you could say, like more traditional roles in business, you know, like GM, sales, investors, you know, equity, shareholder, these sorts of ideas. And people that have had successful exits, people that have had big businesses, guys like us, are coming into these smaller businesses and saying, you know what, like, let's not just meet up for a mastermind. Like, how about we partner? How about... We put some money in, you give me some equity, and I will be on your board and I will help you grow a team. I will advise you how to deploy the cash that we just put into the business, you know. And I think it's a real opportunity for people like us that are have exited and then there's the people that need that experience, need that guidance. And a lot of these businesses, they do have real cash constraints. It's very interesting, man. I've just had a long conversation with you over breakfast about this, how I think that the space is potentially changing a little bit. You know, I think that we struggle as like bootstrap businesses that are self-funded. We struggle with the idea of funding a lot and how that impacts our business, how that impacts our investors, you know, and trying to find a way to make that work. Because traditionally, these businesses aren't 100x businesses, right, with these exit opportunities. They're kind of like long haul businesses that reach 5 million. Sometimes they reach more than that. But in a lot of ways, you know, when you inject capital into these businesses, especially if you're taking away equity, it negatively can impact the founder in a way that they won't want to continue to operate that business. Right. But we have no idea what the future of like a portfolio of $1 million businesses looks like. Let me give you an example. I bet you can think of a handful of people with $2 million, $1 million businesses that have a side business that is of half or equal size. You know, I remember when my dad, when I was in high school, used to work for a company that had $4 million of revenue. And there was like 45 people up in that piece. (laughs) It was like a full on legitimate thing. Like, whereas nowadays what we're seeing is we're seeing a million dollar business that's like sort of automated. You got a couple of customer service people, you got a factory relationship, you got some people doing marketing for you, but it's not like you need some GM and a board and all this stuff. And I think that that's a fascinating idea. The reason I tell that story is that if you're just going to have like one founder that's constantly working on one business for like 10 to 15 straight years, maybe the relationship with that one investor is a little bit different. 
But if everybody's just developing a portfolio of cash flows and thinks of them a little bit more as assets, you can open up your mind to think about how investing strategies could work for lifestyle businesses or size businesses. And one of the reasons this, in my opinion, is becoming more of an option, you know, I think we've thought about this for a long time, but the reason it's becoming more of an option is because a lot of these markets are becoming more mature, right? So you can actually look at them as assets. You know, three or four years ago, it was like, well, I found a quick way to make $500,000 a year. Now it's, no, this is a proven way to to make $500,000 a year on, let's say, Amazon. And so it's much more legible investment. And it's also a much more legible opportunity. So I really look forward to thinking more about how to pull together groups of investors and also founders at this level, because I think there is a huge benefit to both parties if you can get the details right. And I don't think just copying whatever VCs are doing is going to work. There's a new model out there. And I think we're pretty lucky to be in the middle of all these DCers that are in a similar situation, whether they're investors or they're founders. And so it's interesting talking to everybody about this. You got ideas about how we can better pull together investors. We just want to hear your ideas about all this investing stuff. This one's going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash BCN conference. Obviously, boss man, this is an old school scatterbrain. Me and you don't know what we're talking about episode. Bop, 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 yep. Bop. I don't know. We should do that every once in a while. A lot of people have been coming up to me and saying, the podcast is too professional. What happened to you? Too pro. <laughs> you guys are phoning it in. You're phoning it in. You got to show all these up. interviews. Well, I think people now are going to say, you know, the interviews are okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're in Barcelona. You came to my city. You're hanging out. You rented a place. What do you think? Give a little ode to Barcelona. Why do you like hosting a conference in this city? Oh, man. So first of all, Barcelona is probably one of the most accessible cities I've ever been to, meaning you get off the plane, you take a taxi. It's very hard to find yourself out of the heart of Barcelona, you know? So it's like you plop down, you walk 500 meters. If you run into something that doesn't look like, you know, hustle and bustle, you just turn right around and you're back in the mix of the pinball machine, you know? So I love that about Barcelona. It's vibrant. This is my second year here. Last year I was here for like three weeks. This year I'm here for a year. I just love it. It's the perfect time and place to spend summer, in my opinion. Nice. And there's gelato. There's a lot of gelato. Yeah. My, <laughs> my plan is to have a gelato diet, you know, so it's like, I can't do this every day. I can't do it every day. <laughs> well, it's awesome to have you and so many of the listeners of this podcast in Barcelona. We're actually going to be rolling out a bunch more events too. So man, we got so much going on. You're headed over to DCX Prague. July 1st. Yeah, Simon Payne's putting that on for us. So for those of you that aren't familiar, we have member-hosted events throughout the year, and Simon Payne is the one that heads up DCX Prague, and I think there's like... He runs a tight ship. 40 people going to that? Yeah, it's going to be good. I'm going. I'm pumped. But I got a bike ride to go to, speaking of meetups, and it looks like, I'm looking at the list, almost everybody on this list is an investor. Mm. The demo is really changing, man. I wish you could talk on this ride. We could talk about investing, but you got us going straight up the side of a mountain, <laughs> so all I'm going to be doing is breathing. All right. We'll be back next week with a more professional podcast with any luck. This one's going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash Conference. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.